Blog Talk Radio. Everybody, it's your boy 3K, Myson. Myson, what's going on, though? Oh, man, just chilling, just chilling, enjoying this cold, nice, sunny weather out here. <laughs> Living the good life. What's happening with you? So, Myson's life didn't take a bad turn this weekend. There was no, I know, there was no time spent in facilities, in there were no injuries, <laughs> there were no personal property, cars, computers. It was a normal, Two weeks on, in a row, a normal weekend. Man, it was a boring weekend. <laughs> it was a boring weekend. Season ended for us. Horsemen across the sky. No. Fires, locusts. No. Ugh, All I did was uh, chill out and have my final game of the season. Unfortunately, we lost the the game needed to get into the playoffs. But, hey, you know, it happens. You know, you live and you learn. But, yeah, we'll get, we got it next year. What happened? Why did you guys lose? What was the main reason you guys lost? Because we played the number one team in the state and number nine in the country, and we weren't ready. <laughs> Those kids was really, really, they whooped, really They whooped y'all on the line? Well, they had this one kid. Remind you, I coached nine and ten-year-olds. They had this one kid who I swear was like 15. Like, <laughs> he was huge. I mean, huge. It was like a running back. Like, he wasn't, like, huge and on the line. This kid was on breaking every tackle known to man. On one play, he literally broke nine tackles, no joke, and scored. So I was like, okay, well, I see how today is going to go. <laughs> I don't know where they found Sometimes it. Sometimes it's like that, man. Yeah. I quickly realized why they were number nine in the country. <laughs> but of it is what it is. I will tell we you got to make sure. There you go. We I did the same thing um, when I played in high school. We played. I went to Green Hill, Dallas, Texas. Played a team, St. Mark's. They had a, a player who would go on to play defensive line for the Longhorns, University of Texas, and eventually for the Dallas Cowboys. So you can understand this was a large human being uh, yes. in high school, and I was shaped like a human. Um, he was not, <laughs> and he played running back at the time. I played cornerback. I tried to tackle him once. I did. I will admit. Early on in the game, I may, I gave an effort. Uh, that was a mistake. I did not make that mistake for the rest of the game. I, mean, <laughs> I was a I was a Deion Sanders type tackler. I just kind of like pushed at him. I didn't really try to tackle. I just kind of rolled on the ground in front of him. Yeah, you you don't make that mistake too many times. So 
I would say the hardest the hardest tackle I ever tried to make was probably Jerry Macklin. He shook me in open field. Yeah. I'm never gonna let that go. (laughs) Neither is he. Oh see, I'll let it go. I'll let it go because I tried. (laughs) I went at his thighs and his thighs came back at me and his thighs won by a wide margin. And I realized that if my torso can't beat one of his thighs, I cannot do anything to this human. Uh, I'm going to just play speedball, and we'll see if that works. And I'll let somebody else try you know, to tackle him because I ain't you, doing that ever again. You know what? I'll take that back. The most embarrassing moment I've ever had on a football field came when I went against this man child, Lawrence Maroney, who went on to be the Patriots' number one draft pick at running back. And it was, Minnesota. I was a freshman, and – I was a yeah. I was a freshman in high school. He was a senior, and was you know JV is scrimmaging with the varsity, and who gave me the meanest stiff for him. He was a different person though. He like barks and growls and foams at the mouth and stuff. So something was wrong. <laughs> but he was also really big at eighteen. He was like six foot two thirty five and running like a four three. So you can imagine okay, how that yeah, went. <laughs> yeah, Kalen Thornton. I just looked him up. Listed at. Listed at six foot three, two forty five. He's the other kind though. He was the kind that doesn't bark and growl. He's the kind that doesn't say he was real quiet, right? And he would just run. Oh, he would yeah, just run through you and then say stuff like, "I'm sorry, my bad." And you'd be like, "Wait, what? Hold <laughs> on. No, uh, uh, oh man, I'm sorry. Did that hurt? I'm sorry, dude. My bad. Okay. Yeah, those those are good talk. Those are good talk. Like, those are good talk. Like, you sound like um Elvis when you when you ever say him. It was like it was like a mix between Elvis and Biggie. Right, it was oh, the wow. it was the overweightness of Biggie mixed with the southernness of Elvis. Whoa, bro, you 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 fire. Good try, good try. <laughs> you fire. <laughs> you fire. Oh, hey, speaking of but, things that went fast, man, the Rams bye week. It went slow for me, but it's over now. Wow. <laughs> now we are back in business. <laughs> uh, it's weird when there's when there's no Rams to talk about to report about all that stuff. It's like your life just slows down. You realize how much stuff you miss on a regular week. But, you know, it's now back on track. Uh, You know, we got a great show lined up. We have Mr. Jim Everett himself joining us as well. And, you know, we're going to talk about some Rams, uh, just this fast start they've had, some Jared Goff, and what to look forward to as we go on. Uh, Actually, I think we actually got got Jim with us now. I believe so. Let's see. Oh, I got to. What's that little circle icon called? The waiting icon. Oh, that thing, that demon. No one likes that. (laughs) Well, now now it looks like it's working. Let's give it a try. Mr. Everett, Jim Everett, are you on the line? I'm with you, and I'm enjoying the stories of your tackling prowess. Well, I'm sure you are because I know I'm sure you have the same kind of high school moments as we do, except you were the one embarrassing other people. We were were the people you embarrassed, Jim. Think about that. Well, to, to be honest, I was an all-state strong safety for two years, so I had to I had to put the hammer down a few times on a couple guys that I was like, holy cow! See? <laughs> so, I know what you're talking you about. You see, I, I I wasn't used to getting embarrassed. That's why those stories stuck with me so much. <laughs> I I put the hammer down until until Lawrence Maroney hurt my feelings. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> that's, hey, a that's why that's why those guys move on in the pros, man. I mean, because they're. They're ma- they're like man child, you know. They're just running all over, and and they're such a standout. I mean, I couldn't imagine trying to tackle Herschel Walker or, you know, Bo Jackson. I mean, holy Jesus, these guys are are just moving muscle. Exactly. 
We, we got lucky Gurley we didn't have to face them. <laughs> Todd Gurley, yeah, Todd Gurley exactly. The same size that, that he was then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, Todd has had well, just, quite a year. I mean, he's not only catching the ball better, but, I mean, his aggressiveness is going for the ball. I know that one ball he stretched out, tried to get a touchdown. You know, I got a little bit shaky. But other than that, I mean, I'm telling you, he is, he is balling, straight up balling. It's fun to watch. He and is, he's incredible in the he passing game, too. I think that's that's where we got to start. The the when we talked to you last time, part of what we were doing was waiting for Jared Goff, and we were hoping that there was something that we hadn't seen that was going to come out. It seems like it's come out through seven games. I mean, he's not dominating games, but compared to what he was doing in 2016, it's a completely different player. What what have you noticed about his play specifically, and how just? I mean, as a former quarterback, how is it possible to be for Jared Goff to be 2016 Jared and to be 2017 Jared and be the same person? Well, you know, I realize in 2016 he was really a you know college senior. I mean, so the growth you're going to see from a 21 year old man to a 22 all the way to 25 and more is going to be dramatic. I and mean, he is he's yeah. a he's a stoop, you know he's a stoop about. What he wants to get done, he's very pliable. He wants to he wants to do what McVay does. I think in 2016 they had a scheme that didn't have an answer for eight guys in the box, nor did they have the personnel to answer eight guys in the box with the passing scheme. Now they do, and teams are respecting it, and you're going to see more seven men in the box. You're going to see different types of blitzes, and when they do that, you're seeing Jared eight and one hanging in the pocket, stand upright because he has some protection, and, and that's – that's a number one, but he's got a scheme and he's got players to go to. So I think that it's not just one item. I would have to say scheme first, personnel second, and his growth third. I mean, and I think that we'll continue to see that from Jared Goff. And I, I mean, as far as the mental growth of the game, he'll, he'll make some bonehead plays. We all do as quarterbacks, especially young quarterbacks, but he'll come back and you, if you watch him, he doesn't get, he doesn't get, you know, out of whack, but he yeah. let it go. And I think McVeigh's referred to that many a times. Like, golly, this guy can just say, "Next play, let's go." You know, he's been there, done that. He was on a Cal team that was one eleven. He knows that that's the value of the next play is is way more important. Let's learn from the last one, but let's move forward. And he's he's done a nice job of that. Now, I definitely agree with that. Uh, it's something that's caught my eye as well. It's almost like he just plays with ice in his veins when when things get tough, which is impressive, especially being a young quarterback. But, um, you know, we touched on it a little bit there, you know, the struggles of last year. But just going from year to year and seeing how different he is this year, like what are some of the, the little things that you've noticed different in golf's game from last year to this year? Well, there's there's no doubt that when that back foot hits, the ball's coming out. He's thrown with better velocity. Um, so he's, he's uh, you know, we talked about this summer him getting stronger, and he has. And I think it's shown he's he's gotten more confidence in what each game that goes by. And if you saw the last part of that Seattle game, I was so impressed with that one drive. They didn't complete the touchdown to Cooper Cup, but it was there. But the, the two passes before that, boy, foot plant, ball out, on the money, you couldn't ask for anything better. I mean, I think if we look at it in general, you're seeing the play from that quarterback class between Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott, Jared Goff. I mean, the quarterback position position for the future is really in good hands because these guys are coming out and balling. 
I mean, they're 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 all good. So what do you got? It, well, it's just one of those things where I mean, clearly we want to talk about the quarterback, and I, I don't want to over harp on this, but what does it take mentally, Jim, to to be able to do that. The term I've heard thrown around is positive amnesia, to understand that <laughs> you've got to put the bad plays behind you and you've got to put bad football behind you. And clearly that's what he's done. But I just wonder, like, how, how, is that, how do you do that in a sincere way to be able to say, look, this throw, this game, this, air, this season is behind me. I'm going to learn from it. How, how do you get yourself prepared to do that in a way that's constructive rather than – uh, what's the right word, kind of irresponsible or ignorant to just say, well, I'm not going to pay attention to that, but, but instead to use that and to learn from it. How do you do that mentally? <laughs> you don't want to pull Jeff George. <laughs> the idea is that he's got McVay in his ear all the time. That's A number one. Yeah. If they do this, we do that. They do this, we do that. There's answers to every single question. They go, man, we do this. We, they go zone. Too deep, we do this. They go three deep, we do this. They play a robber, we do this. So there's schematically wise, there's a place to go all the time. Now it's up to Jared to execute it. It's not a system like in 2016 where, well, we got we we got a thing and we hope this works and kind of and you know you put that question mark in the quarterback head and he starts throwing question marks. A number one, that can't happen because you throw picks. Two is he's upright. We're not worrying about that last tackle position. I don't know. Uh, we said it before that center is doing such a good job making sure the interior is protected. Whitworth's yeah. doing it on the left side, which is so important, especially for a pocket passer, which we hadn't had for maybe five, six, maybe th- since Orlando Pace. Um, I know we tried to address that position, but it just hadn't got it done. But with Whitworth here, now we're like, was he had one pressure, one sack, something like that for the season. That's a whole different game when you can go back and say, okay, I'll go check one, check two, check three. I'm going to shuffle. He's getting better on his shuffle. He'll get, he'll improve that so much more. And just like Aaron Rodgers did. I don't know if you remember when Aaron Rodgers was behind Brett Favre, they were like, you know, we're going to give this guy a new contract. What are we going to do? You know, they didn't think he could play, but Aaron grew. Jared Goff's going to grow. I'm not saying Jared's Aaron Rodgers, but I'm just saying he has that learning template to go through, and he's going through it. And then you're seeing, God, we we haven't even utilized Sammy Watkins yet. Not not to his full potential, but, you know, find like Woods and Cooper Cup and, um, you know, where does Tevon Austin fit in? I mean, all these different question marks, but at least you've got guys to go to. I mean, on an offense – Basically, you have seven guys to defend you. You usually rush four. You got seven guys to defend you. You got five receivers. On a numbers game, they're playing, man, they can double two of five. That leaves three one-on-one that you have to have athletes to be able to win. We have that this year. We did not have that in 2016. And so, you know, if 2016, if Kenny Britt got hot, they just double him down. And where else do you go with it? You didn't have anywhere to go with it. Now, go ahead and double Watkins, which he's seeing quite a bit. Go ahead and double Gurley. Well, we'll go to Cup. There's an answer to each one of those, and that's what I think we're seeing play out. And it's tough as nails on those defensive coordinators. So you mentioned uh, a little bit about the line, and um, I think uh, uh, my favorite thing this offseason that I kept saying as far as additions to the line and how they tweaked it was 
John Sullivan because of what he could do for Jared Goff, the community there, being able to help him with protect, protections and things like that. But mm-hmm. I think for me so far this season, the surprise on the offensive line has been uh, Roger Saffold, who's always been a good player, a serviceable player, especially when healthy. But I don't think I've ever seen him play quite as well as he uh, has. Can you just touch on a little bit, like, what the additions of having veterans and uh, former All-Pros in the form of John Sullivan and Andrew Whitworth on each side of him, what they can do for a player uh, and how it can ultimately improve their game overall. Okay. Well, that, that it goes right into the 2016 Rams with Jeff Fisher. Jeff Fisher didn't believe in that veteran mentality. He had, if I don't know if we had the, the youngest team for five straight years. So we never had that veteran presence that, that let's raise the bar because this guy is an all pro or this and that. We were all always trying to create the all pro, which I, I get. And that was Jeff's deal. But I think it ultimately was his dis, dis, demise. I think when McVay came in, he knew exactly who to target. You go out and get a receiver who's a prominent receiver in woods. You go out and get a, a left tackle who's going to sure up that left side and a center that's smart as the Dickens. And, you know, there's some injury question, but at least you know you're going to get, you know, a higher standard of play. And I think that was always the, you know, the question mark for the Rams. So, like, you know, the holes in 2016 weren't there for Gurley to, to, to do anything. And, you know, it was um, – you know, all that working out, I think Cromer's doing a good job. Aaron Cromer, Coach Aaron Cromer with the offensive line. And so, you know, you put all those things together. It's not just one thing in a vacuum. Put all those things together. You get that front. You start winning the battle in the trenches. And you know, at any level of football, you start winning in there, you're going to start winning ball games. And that's what I think Seattle's looking at right now, going down to Houston, making that trade for Brown, is that they know they have to have a running game if they want to be in the playoffs. And that's, that's what they're doing. They're trying to develop a, a tackle to bring in so they can at least have a running game to go on with Wilson. And I think that'll be major competition for the Rams going down the road. Jim, the Rams are 5-2. and two. Like you mentioned, it's been an, an interesting way to get to this point. Uh, you know, the young teams under Fisher, uh, the play of the 2016 season and the growth that has been – uh, required to wait for from golf. Now that they're in this position, coming out of the bye week, going into November, what what is it like to be a team that's in position for the the kind of push that they're going to need to put together in November, December? Obviously, you you were part of some really good teams in the mid eighties. Uh, mm-hmm. When you get to this part of the season, how do you you know you've got to be playing at a hundred percent for week one, but how do you dig deeper yeah, to I, find something more when you get ready for the postseason? You just do what you do. I mean, I don't think you try to make it any bigger than what it is. You do what you do and try to do it the best you possibly can. You match up. You're going to be facing some very good defenses, probably some defenses that are tougher than they faced. And it's going to especially run run defenses. And that's going to put a lot of pressure on the passing game, you know, for them to be able to make sure that they convert the third downs and, and, and keep going so they can keep trying to, you know, stuff Gurley in there. And it's going to take some patience. But – I think a key thing that you could never um, really know is injury. You know, so far, knock on wood, we've been fairly healthy. Um, we haven't had a, you know, a big nick to any one of the big names. And I think when you look at seasons of teams that go throughout the year, they somehow get through the season without too many injuries, and then they, they take it into the, pre, you know, the postseason. 
And so I think that's the kind of – I don't think you can ever plan for that. You just play as hard as you possibly can. You do the things that you do well. You keep concentrating on your own business. Let everyone else concentrate on their own. And the other team's going to get nicked up. The other team's going to have to play hurt. And so are you. And that's just, that's just how the game goes. But you just, you just concentrate on what you do and try and enjoy it and have fun on the process. Do you, do you think that the lack of experience in this kind of a situation can hold them back? I mean, obviously there are going to be teams that every year make that jump. But do you think that maybe a team – or, you know, the fact that having Andrew Whitworth certainly helps. But a team of Andrew Whitworth who's been in December, who's been through playoff runs and knows what it takes, do you think that maybe that's a bit of a disadvantage holding them back? Or do you think that's something that you can adjust for with the right guys in the locker room? <laughs> I don't know how many playoff games Andrew Whitworth being – being in Cincinnati, well, I think they're one and done most of the time. So, I mean, I, I don't know. We want to base it all on Andrew's playoff experience with, sure. with, with that. But, you know, I, sure. I, I do think that, again, you just play week in, week out, as best you can as best you can possibly play. When you get to the playoffs, there's no slackers. You're not playing any, you know, you know, at, at, at level nine. You're not playing the Colts anymore. You're, play, you're not playing the Jets. You're playing, you know, quality football. And that the margin of error goes down, and the and the play increases. And then, you know, that's one of those learning curves. You take any of the guys now playing in the World Series, and they're played in the World Series. A lot of Dodgers had never played in the World Series before. You know, they're getting experience. You know, hopefully, they come back and hit some balls and, and and get onto it and tie this thing up. But you know, it, there's no better substitution than an experience. I think the veterans that they do have um, are gonna, you know let everybody know that the tempo of the play is going to increase. The pressure of each one is going to increase. And that's just, that's just the nature of the beast. You know, so I, I, I think that's, that hopefully that answers what you're asking. You know, um, you, you talk a little bit about um, Todd Gurley and just uh, how well he's played and how, how really, how good he's really been. And he, he's kind of continuing this, long line of success that the Rams have had throughout history uh, of just somehow always getting these good running backs. Um, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I was sitting there and I was thinking about it. I was just like, you know, from Marshall Falk to Steven Jackson to Eric Dickerson, Lawrence McCutcheon, you know, there's just been so many. With each decade, there's a new name that seems to pop up almost, you know. Yeah. And uh, with Gurley, he's, he's gotten off to a really good start so far early in his career. And uh, just this season, he's already got over 900, over 900 yards um, through the first seven games on his own pace for well over 2,000. And uh, he's just having such a good year. But all of those backs are also different from each other. If Gurley can, you know, maintain some health and uh, continue to play at a very high level moving forward in his career, like where do you see him falling on that list of uh, just really good Rams running backs? Well, you listed some of the some of the you know top <laughs> legends in the game at the position. That's a that's a mighty big shoes to fill, and he you know he's doing it right. I think each one of those guys, and I know I can speak for Eric Dickerson, was in the right scheme at the right time, you know, at the time when, when John Robinson was there, you know, that was a running, running base based offense. I know with clutch, he, he had a, you know, a, a run based offense. This is a little bit different than what they're asking. They're, they're using the ball control pass, um, you know, the Washington style um, to create, as Gurley even said, a Chris Thomas type, Thompson type, you know, running back where he's multiversal, not only, not only run the ball, you know, straight in there, but being able to 
you know, pass protect. And a lot of, a lot of people haven't thought about that part is Todd Gurley's doing a good job of pass protecting because there's a lot of opportunities for him to, you know, chip and then go out or, you know, get his screen. So he's really taking it upon himself. And I, and I saw this in preseason. Todd Gurley was different. I mean, when I first met Todd Gurley in 2016, he was, he was a little bit, you know, shy. He was a little bit, you know, to himself. He was almost kind of country bumpkin type. But Todd Gurley, when I saw him at camp, was going up to kids. Was He, he, he just like he blossomed. He, he walked with more confidence. I think he felt better about you know, what he wanted to get done, who he is, and you could see it in his personality. You're like, whoa, this guy's a different guy right now. And I think he would even say so. But he's entirely different. His voice, his his demeanor around people, uh, even when I see him interviewed now, he's uh, he's outgoing. And there's just monumental change from a guy who was like, you know, questioning, am I here? What, what am I doing? To, oh, I'm here. Now you deal with me. It's it's been great to see, great to be part of. But a long line of guys that you mentioned are fabulous. They've worn the horns. They've done a good job. And he's, you know, again, he's doing a great job for him. And and knock on wood, let's just say he, you know, stays healthy. I like the way Malcolm Brown runs too. He runs hard as nails yeah. when he comes in, and and punishing. And I think that's a great one-two punch uh, for what they what they have. I was going to say, I went back and looked. Uh, six playoff appearances for Andrew Whitworth, Jim. All six bounced out of the wild card round. So you're absolutely right. The depth of experience <laughs> that he has is not that deep, maybe wide, but not all that deep. Uh, that being I'm said. Gonna, I'm not the one to judge anybody on their playoff experience. I mean, I've been there too. There you and, go. You know, won a there couple and lost a few too. So, you know, the fact is, is that, you know, when you get to, to the dance, start getting to that, that level. It, it increases in, the, in your, uh, your competition increases. You've got to increase the margin of error is so much smaller and the turnover ratio is huge. And that's the difference. And, the, and you're not the going attention's to higher. Yeah. And that, and that's the thing that's interesting is that, you know, for all the, the hoopla and the marketing that went into last year and for the right reason, the Rams returned to Los Angeles. It deserved that kind of, you know, re- return, but, the football didn't accompany it, and this year it has. And I just wonder, the same way that, that Todd Gurley feels, it seems like the team is really embracing that. And is that something you think, you know, that it, just in your personal opinion, that Southern California is picking up on? It, it, it's not – I get it. Los Angeles is not the city that it was 30 years ago, and they, maybe Los Angeles doesn't feel about the Rams the way that we did 30 years ago, but it's getting closer, right? Oh, Absolutely. I can tell you firsthand from being around the players in 2016, anytime any corporation makes a cross-the-country move, you got disruption. And it was, it was total chaos. They were camping, Oxnard camp and Irvine camp over here, temporary camp over there. I mean, they were scared. You know, where we live in temporary living for here. That, I mean, for them to concentrate on ball was, you know, and I, and I know Jeff Fisher said this many times, like, oh, we're concentrating on our jobs and doing this. But there were so many distractions, probably much similar to what the Chargers are having to go through, you know, disrupt, unroot themselves. But they don't have to have 2,000 miles under their belt. Probably a little bit easier for the equipment manager, but they still have to move up stuff. 
So that was a distraction for the football side of it, and I figured it might be. This this year, I think the, the players are a little bit more settled. The, the coaching staff is the one who had to pick up and move and, and move in. And McVay is, oh, my gosh, this guy is football savvy. He, is, he lives and breathes it. I think the only other guy that I think talks football as much as McVay is Peyton Manning. And I've been around Peyton a lot. His Archie was our uh, was down in New Orleans with us, so you know Peyton grew up and was around the New Orleans franchise when I was down there. And I'll tell you what, that kid wouldn't shut up about football. And that's why McVeigh is. I mean, so they live and breathe it. You know, Sean McVeigh wants to know all the defensive calls. He wants to know how they they talk their talk, do their stuff, how they're attacking. So he's he's way into it, which I think is a little bit different vibe than what they've had here. And I think it's, it's contagious. I think all the players are playing more responsible. They're, they're knowing their job. They're knowing what their, what their buddy has to get done, and they're doing it. It's not just a slugfest. They're actually playing, I say, and I call it more responsible because if everyone does their job, then it's really tough for the, for the offense, especially when you're on a defensive side. And Wade Phillips has brought that. saying so we could play tough defense. Let's play responsible tough defense let's get away from the 15 yard personal fouls let's get away from the offside not saying that we've been clean on that but we're a lot better than we were before you know with just kind of talking about being better with than we were before the rims are five and two uh they haven't been five and two through seven games in about 15 years uh so it's been a long time where mm-hmm. uh, they can say that they've had this 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 record, this type of performance to start the season, and uh, it's, it's been really impressive. You know, they've won in so many different ways. They've blown teams out. They've they've uh, held they've held on to leads. They had comeback wins. They've done all the things that they haven't been able to show that they could do um, over the course of the last fifteen years consistently. They've shown that they could do it. Now, mm-hmm. at this point in the season, though, you know, when you're at seven games and you're, you know, your past eight weeks, you know, the, the contenders and the pretenders, you can now tell them apart. You know, you know who's, who's legit and who's probably just been getting by, uh, similar to how the Rams was last year when they were three and one. You know, it was like, oh, are they for real? But then when you go back and you look at it, it's like, okay, you can see they were just kind of getting by. Now you can identify those teams with, you know, halfway through the season. What are some games, you know, remaining on the schedule that, you know, you're most looking forward to or uh, that you really, really want to see the Rams face off against uh, as we go go off here in the the final games? You know, they have teams like the Texans whose offense is really explosive with Deshaun Watson back there and the Vikings Mm -hmm. and the Saints and the Eagles and another game of the Seahawks. And uh, there's just a, there's a wide range of games. What's the games that you're really looking forward to and why? Oh, I, I I go with the mentality of one at a time. And I still do that watching as I did as a player. And I think the Giants, you know, pose some problems. Um, I think there's some answers that they're going to have, but I said this from the start. I think that the Rams will be better game eight than they were game one. And I knew, I knew, I've been in a system where, where Ernie Zampezi came in, and we we ran, started running a system, and we did okay, but we weren't we weren't really clicking, you know. And I think that's when you start seeing the guys like Sammy Watkins and have a hundred yard games, and the guys like Robert Woods and and Cup, and the tight ends get more involved. We really haven't got the tight ends involved as much as 
a Sean McVay type offense will do. Once you see those things clicking, along with Gurley getting 100 yards, then you're going to know, oh man, we're for real. That's now it's now we've now we've got things going. I think that you know I think Todd Gurley has covered up some of the stuff with just his his greatness. To be honest, I think once you see all the other parts getting involved, which I said earlier. Game eight, they'll be better than game one because they'll understand the system. Now, specific games, I think the Giants have a pretty good defense, I think especially run defense, and that's going to pose some problems, which is going to need some conversion. Houston, they they do have a good defense. Now they have a good offense. I mean, how miraculous has that been with Deshaun Watkins? I mean, talk about a kid coming in and changing the dynamics of an offense immediately. I've never seen the impact from a rookie quarterback ever what he's doing. I mean, four catching two touchdowns a game. I mean, the kid just comes off a collarbone and he's just a scoring machine. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, and that's not even the top receiver on the team. <laughs> got Hopkins out there. So that's, that's going to be some major issues for the, for the secondary. And they've got a pretty good runner in Miller when they get to it. So I think giants, I would say ain't in one because they're on the schedule. I can't wait to see the Houston matchup just because of the dynamics. Um, I do want to see the Seattle game. We've got to go on the road and play them. And I think that's going to be one heck of a matchup again. So, I mean, those three, I, I pretty much target. I'm not saying that any other ones don't make a difference because they do. Uh, it's a winner and a loss and they're all important, but those three games I think would be, are going to be key to see where the Rams are on say playoff caliber teams. Big football going, as always. Uh, yeah. Well, that's why they play the game. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> they've, had, they've had their share of injury bugs. We talked earlier about teams getting hurt, and you can look at the Giants. Here's a team that could easily be a contender. they got a lot, a lot of guys down, and now, you know, they're not. They're still dangerous. I mean, as you'd say, you know, you don't want to mess with an animal that's hurt, a hurt animal, because sometimes they'll come out and just, you know, tear you up. So you got to take each one and respect them and, you know, and play your best. And they've got a good matchup. Isn't it nice that the Rams are in this position where when we're talking about potential trap games, they're the ones looking at being the one trapped instead of the trapping <laughs> the new era. The, the new era. The <laughs> there you go. It is, it. it is a new well, day. The other, the other part of the dynamics here is a lot of teams haven't had a chance to really know what McVay calls. I mean, Overall, yeah. so he's starting to have his own tendencies and his old go-tos, and, and other teams are going to pick up on that. I think that they, they got the first five, six, seven games going without people knowing what the tendencies of Jared Goff is, what the tendency of this is, what, you know, can they do that? And they've answered every time, but they're, they're going to have to keep mixing it up. And I think that's where, you know, guys like Tavon Austin and stuff like that, where they can continue to manipulate the offense in a way that it, maybe is similar on the call, but looking different. If that makes any sense. It does. Fun times ahead, uh, Jim underscore Everett. If y'all don't give him a follow, change that immediately. Jim, always great to have you on. Thanks, man. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Always good on. You guys do good work. I like following you guys. And uh, keep it going, and let's see if we can uh, win them all out from here. That would be great, wouldn't it? That let's, would do be it. let's do it. We'll talk to you in a couple <laughs> weeks. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. Right. Thank, Thank you. you. Gotta love talking to Jim Everett. He's right though, man. It's 
the challenge is one of those and, and this is the weird thing is the Rams haven't been in this position where they're the ones that can't take the Giants easily. I get it the Giants are one and six, but you yeah. gotta treat that the same way you would the Giants in week one or week two. Exactly. You know, he hit the nail on the head. He said that they're um they're wounded, but they're wounded on offense. On defense they still have some monsters out there. <laughs> you know, they they, nothing's really changed for them on defense too much, you know. So, and that's kind of where you got to be careful with because if that defense is able to punch the Rams' offense in the mouth, and then you go back to what the Rams have been in previous years, where their defense is constantly on the field. So, it's definitely, uh, as you put it, a trap game. But it's the roles are reversed for, for once. You know, it's a little different now. That, so that's positive. And the thing that I think is worth remembering is that even though, even when you got the Giants or the Browns or any of those other the Forty ers any of those kind of teams like that that are going into November and they're they're already playing for two thousand eighteen, I'll give you one one guy to let you know how important it is. Kenny Britt. Kenny Britt put in a quality two thousand sixteen season, got paid yeah. because of it, and barely showed up this year in Cleveland. Why? Because that's, that's not who he is. So I'm not saying that when you go against the Giants, they're filled with Kenny Britts, but those guys on that team know that it, regardless of what the record is, they can, they're playing for their future. They're playing for their financial and professional futures. Yeah. And that's, that can be a hell of a lot of motivation regardless of who they got. Mike, we had two big trades today, man. I just want to talk about these real quick. Yeah, um, we got to. <laughs> I, I don't know if you saw in the last couple hours. We did. Yeah, Let me Garoppolo go ahead and pull up the first and one. Dwayne, Jimmy Garoppolo yeah. and Dwayne Brown. Um, yeah. Both of them obviously affecting the NFC West. Let me go ahead and pull up the first, the Dwayne Brown coming to Seattle. Uh, the Seahawks traded Jeremy Lane down to the Houston Texans. Uh, pulling up the draft compensation right now. Looks like, um, I think it was a future second. Yeah. So the Seahawks trade Lane, uh, their fifth-round pick from next year's draft, and their 2019 NFL draft second-round pick uh, to Texans for Brown, and Houston doesn't have to get any picks. So there's stockpiling draft picks down there in Houston. Uh, what do you think? I mean, Dwayne Brown obviously is a quality tackle, and Seattle needs one, but it's one of these things where when you're trading for veterans, it's really hard to make that fit midseason. They just played each other, and now Brown has to go to the opposite sideline and try to gear up for what they're hoping to be another postseason run. Yeah. You know, I, I personally, when I when I saw the Dwayne Brown addition, I, I kind of smiled because you want to – right now the Rams are headed for the chance to go to the playoffs, and, you know, in, in all likelihood, it would take pretty much a complete meltdown at this point to not make it with the, the steam that they've built up. Um, but – when you play these teams going into the uh, playoffs, you know, as you put it last week, that pre postseason, those pre postseason games, you really want to see what you really have to work with. So the better the team that you play, the more, if you win, the more, you know, Hey, we're ready for this. As Jim was just saying, you know, beating some of those playoff teams like the Texans and like the Seahawks is really going to tell you a lot before going into the playoffs. So, I, I want them to, to stack up and to see see how good this team really is. It, is it really as good as we all think that it has become, or are there still so many things that need to be worked on that we're going to have a lot of troubles getting over some of those playoff teams? So I, I just kind of smile. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be, you know, as they say, iron sharpens iron. So it'll be an interesting matchup, I'm sure. Second trade of the day. Um, maybe more – what's the right word? 
more interesting. Let's use interesting. Let's be fair. Let's be nice. Uh, the 49ers <laughs> traded their second-round pick. But it is the Niners, oh, so we don't have it. to be nice if you don't want to. Traded their second-round pick <laughs> for next year, which, given that the 49ers are where they are right now, it's going to be one of the top picks of the second round. Um, yeah. Traded to New England for Jimmy Garoppolo, backup quarterback. <laughs> He'll come in and get started. Uh, I think I saw that they've already released Brian Hoyer. Um, they have already so released the, <laughs> And, well, and part of what makes this interesting is that Jimmy Garoppolo is in his contract year, so there's no yeah. – I haven't seen anybody report it. I'll check again while you're answering to make sure that it hasn't come out. But uh, as it stands, Jimmy Garoppolo is set to be a free agent next year uh, yeah. in an off season in which many people thought the 49ers would be going after Kirk Cousins out of Washington. What do you think about this? You know, I, this was one where, like, with the Seahawks move, I just kind of smiled. With this one, I laughed because I was just like, what a waste of a trade. Um, there's so many different variables that goes into this one. First off, the um, 49ers, they have one of the worst supporting casts. Um, just as several, their receiving core is absolutely terrible. It's um, bad. It's, it's, it's bad. It's, it's not good. <laughs> you know, they're, they're just, they just don't have it. Um, and then you have an inconsistent uh, Carlos Hyde playing behind them. I think that ultimately you see uh, C.J. Beathard start this weekend, but then after that it's going to be all Garoppolo. You know, I think they're going to probably try to give him a week to learn something. And I wouldn't be shocked one bit. Remind you, it's Monday. He has the whole practice week to learn some plays. I wouldn't be shocked one week if or one bit if we saw him uh, come the end of this week starting for the 49ers. That would not shock me at all. Uh, but – Ultimately, you know, there. This is a, a surprise move because it's like your season is already washed. So usually, when you try to bring someone in, it's to you know help win games. It's, if you're bringing him in at this point, it's like, well, what are you what are you trying to get to? <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. you know, I, it's almost like you're um, you're trying to save face too late. You know, what's the most they can win, even if he did come in and make a big difference? You know, are they going to suddenly go on a, a nine-game win streak? I don't think so, you know. So it's definitely a, a move that made me kind of question it, scratch my head, like why now? If you were going to do this, why not do this at the beginning of the season? And particularly with a quarterback who, like you said, is in the final year of his contract, he didn't get an extension or anything like that. You know, it's it's just kind of all – it looked like a really sloppy situation. Like, if you were going to go make a move, and remind you, they gave Brian Hoyer $10 million guaranteed to start this year. <laughs> you know, they gave him $10 million to be the man this year. And, um, you know, they got rid of him after six starts and put C.J. Beathard in there. So it's definitely wishy-washy. But, again, it's the 49ers, they might – play terrible the rest of the way, but then when they play the Rams, they might be the best team on the planet because that's just how those games go. So we'll see how we'll see how it all shakes out ultimately. But I, I laughed at the trade. Definitely, it definitely tickled me. That's an interesting thing. They got a three-game home stand coming up, Arizona, New York, Giants, and then Seattle. So you have two NFC West contests. The final month of the season at Chicago, at Houston, at home against Tennessee and Jacksonville, and then at our place to finish the season. That's a, that's an interesting schedule to go ahead and put Garoppolo up against with that surrounding cast. But we'll see. We'll see what they get out of it. Uh, like I said, I was being nice. Interesting, to say the least. 
Uh, what you got coming out of the bye, man? Thoughts on this week? I am going to try just a minor podcast announcement. We're going to start trying to split these up into two podcasts per week, and I'm looking to nail down somebody from Big Blue View. That's our SB Nation site for fans of the New York Giants. Managing editor Ed Valentine. I'll see if I can get him on. Try to do that around Wednesday or Thursday. Schedule permitting for myself, Myson included, and we'll see if we can knock something out for you. But aside from that, what you think about this one coming up, man? It's an interesting game. And I don't mean yeah, that in a I'm nice being... way. I mean that in a in a more sincere way. It's sincerely interesting, whereas the uh, the 49ers trade was more like, hmm, interesting in a condescending way. This one's more... <laughs> Even though the Giants only have one win, it's interesting in a more it's still, uh, constructive yeah, way. It's still that, uh, that watch-out game. You know, I mean, I look at it like this. You go to last year in London, and you're watching the Rams game, and you're thinking going into it on paper this is a good matchup uh, because the Giants, they had no run game, which they still don't, and – you know, outside of Odell, no one was really doing anything in the pass game. And then when the Rams mm. faced them, you know, they pretty much eliminate Odell. He didn't really have he didn't have a great game against the Rams. But then the Rams kind of shot themselves in the foot with some early turnovers. The defense got going for the Giants, and then it just became an ugly game. You know, it got really sloppy really quick. Uh, so now when you look at it this year, it's like the same sort of formula. The offense really isn't doing anything for the Giants. <laughs> you know, it looks like on the paper that it's a good game for the Rams. But, again, when it, going against a defense like that, all it takes is one mistake to shoot yourself in the foot, kind of create that snowball effect. So it's definitely that trap game. You know, nothing's really different from last year to this year. Odell isn't there, so what? He didn't do anything last year against the Rams. So, and they still lost. So what difference does it make? Um, I definitely think that this is a game where – you could possibly see uh, Jared Goff go for 300 again, and the only reason I say that, even though with that secondary being as good as it is, the Giants, uh, Jim mentioned it, is they, they're going to play the run aggressive, and considering the way Gurley has run, and he's three or four games in a row now with over 100 yards rushing, I think they're really going to try to lock in on that and really stuff that run, and which will possibly open things up for those slots, for those things we could see. Cooper Cup and Robert Woods out of the slot have a big day or the tight end. So it'll be an interesting game just overall. Like you said, interesting, <laughs> interesting game overall uh, against the Giants this upcoming weekend. Two things for me as I look at this game. Number one, we talked about the idea last year that the Rams were perhaps the healthiest team in all of the NFL. As we go into this game, I'm going to read you. Here is the injured reserve list for the New York Giants. Uh, Shaq Williams, Jessamine Dunker, Mark Hertzlich, Corbin Bryant, Kevin Norwood, Keon Johnson, Josh Banks, Evan Schwan, Adam Geddes, J.C. Thomas, Dwayne Harris, Romeo Aquara, Brandon Marshall, and Odell Beckham Jr. That's 13-14 players on injured reserve. Here's your injured reserve list for the Los Angeles Rams. You ready? Listen to these pro bowlers. Lennard Tillery, Zach Lasky, Bradley Marquez, Tamarick Hemingway, and Dominique Easley. Five players, one a starter in Easley, and perhaps a second in Hemingway, maybe a third in Marquez, a likely 53-man roster addition. The Rams have been incredibly healthy, though. Yeah, it's scary. It really scares me. 
<laughs> like it's weird. I look at uh, as Shabby Bay mentioned it um, going into the bye. You know, they asked him how's the health. And, you know, he he talked about he briefly discussed it. He said, you know, uh, John Sullivan was the only one dealing with anything, but he's gonna be okay. And uh, when you hear that, you're like, okay, cool. He's bouncing back. And he's like, yeah, you know, we've been really healthy all year. When he said that, I was just like. Ah, damn. <laughs> Usually, if you're going to get hurt, you want it to get out of the way early, you know, for if you're going to make that run. Uh, so that puts that fear in your head. Oh, what if something, you know, what if something, something happens yeah. too late in the yeah. season? Are they going to be ready in time when, when they're really needed in the postseason? So it's definitely scary. But, you know, the best teams who, you know, for from year to year are the teams who can stay healthy all the way through the postseason. So the hope is that the Rams can continue to do that and be one of those teams. It's weird to talk about the number two thing. Well, <laughs> hey, this is hey, this is who we are now, man. They are we are who we thought that we were not, right? <laughs> to completely butcher the old uh, quote. Um, the other thing that I'm thinking about, we talked about some issues with the team: timeouts, uh, the blitz, um, lack of experience. Some of those things that maybe the Rams needed to correct. Obviously, lack of functional experience for the pre postseason they can't really deal with, but timeouts. Four-man blitz, normal blitz without or no, normal blitz, normal pass rush without having to throw Alec Ogletree as much as they have been. Um, I found it interesting that today uh, they had a practice that was based on quote unquote fundamentals. Sean McVay got asked about it. I got the quote right here. He said, "Yep, that's exactly what it was." Then being away for a couple of days, the last thing we wanted to do was push it too much to where you leave yourself susceptible to some muscle pulls and different things like that. So get out here, get a good lather in. I don't know what that means. Get a good lather in, get introduced to the Giants, and then move around and work our calls, our communications, and different things like that. Uh, and I don't know if you guys saw it. There was an interesting uh, interview that he did last week with the, I think it was the Rich Eisen show, where he was talking about the timeouts. And I, I just yeah. found it interesting yeah. that, you know, given some of the things that they got to work on, they had a really – you could almost say dumbed down practice to really go back to football 101 and start there getting ready for this week. I thought that was. But I like things. You know, I, it, it, it makes me smile when I talk to people yeah. like Jim and they say, when they talk about, um, when they talk about Sean McVay, they all have the same reaction. There's excitement. And they're just like, man, you know, he loves football. The guy just talks about it so well. And he's so detailed. And, you know, when you hear the same exact report from people over and over and over. You know, you tend to believe, hey, this is who this person is, you know. Um, and that's all I've ever heard in regards to Sean McVay. Uh, and so when you when you hear that he's going over details like that, you automatically stop and say it makes sense because that's who he is. He wants everything to be right. You know, some, some of the things that players have said – is just that he wants he wants it to be perfect, <laughs> you know. He's gonna make us do it over and over until we get it right. It has to look a certain way, you know. It's about getting things, getting the timing down, and making it look the way it is in his head. Um, I personally am looking forward to the Giants game because Sean McVay. I saw the Rich Eisen uh, podcast and uh, Rich put him up on the dry race board, and uh, Snoop Dogg when he was there left a play up. That he that he runs, <laughs> shout out to Snoop, that he runs in his uh, little league, which has been extremely successful over the years. So many kids have gone to the NFL from him. Oh, yeah. uh, so shout out to Snoop for the kids. But uh, he drew this play, which is his favorite play to run. And I really believe uh, McVay because he got really excited looking at this play. Like he got really he into did. it. And he 
he's like, uh, I think he's like, I think we might see, I might, you might see the Rams run this. So I think I'm gonna steal it from Snoop. And he's like, we're gonna That's use good. Tavon here. We're gonna use Todd here. You know, he was he was serious about it. And and, and it's a good play. It looks like a good play if you're running against the right scheme. So I I, I can see why pe- uh, fans uh, people say that Sean McVay is so connected with the game. He's so into it. Like he all he wants to talk is football, just watching the way he lit up going over that play. And uh it seems like he's interested in running the play. <laughs> so I, I, I understand why the Rams are going having a you know, dumb it down day uh to make sure that they aren't they didn't forget anything. And focus on football. That's the thing that and I we said this all the time, that Jeff Fisher's strength wasn't football. Uh, you, you know what his strength was? We already talked about it today. You know what Jeff Fisher's strength was? Kenny Britt. Kenny Britt didn't make any problems while he was yeah. here. He didn't make any problems Absolutely. as a teammate. Before he was with Jeff Fisher, problems galore. After he was with Fisher, problems galore. That's what Jeff Fisher does, man. And I, I get it to a lot of people. There's not value there. And, I'm, I mean, we don't have to rehash that tonight. But that's clearly what he was good at. That was his skill as a head coach, right? That's not – and we'll have to see, you know, as the years go along, if when Sean McVay gets tested in that area, when you've got, you know, contentious locker rooms and you've got – and we'll see if any of these kind of personalities develop, those kinds of uh, – whether it's divas at wide receiver or whether it's, you know, Albert Hainsworth, another guy that Fisher coached that underneath him at Tennessee was productive and, you know, what's the right word, that non non, you know, damaging to his own team. Yeah. That was not the case when Alvin Hainsworth went to Washington, right? So if we add some of those personalities to the team, uh, we'll have to see what what goes on with how Sean McVay and his coaching staff teams to handle it. But that was what Jeff Fisher did. Uh, what will be interesting is that, you know, let's turn that eye to the college game. I, I don't know who the personalities that mimic that, but there's a ton of guys. I watched a ton of football this Saturday man. There are a ton of guys that are starting to emerge from this level of college football this year that I could see being very, very successful on the Rams. A lot of offensive linemen. If you watch the Georgia-Florida game, world's largest outdoor cocktail party, a lot of players on the team. If you watched uh, Oklahoma dismantle Texas Tech, that offensive line, a lot of guys on the team. But if we're talking like pass rushers, I don't know that there's anybody I want more than Bradley Chubb from North Carolina State. Have you seen Chubb play yet, man? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I definitely have. <laughs> he, um, I like him personally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but North Carolina. I've been trying to keep it. A... No, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just gonna say they lost no, fourteen just... to thirty-five to Notre Dame, and Notre Dame's got some fun, phenomenal uh, offensive linemen. What's his name? Quentin. Um... Quentin Flowers, Quentin Watkins, whatever Quentin's name is, and then Mike McGlinchey, obviously a left tackle. They got some offensive linemen at Notre Dame, but Bradley Chubb's just a handful, dude. Yeah, and I just uh, I've kind of been uh, watching everyone but Notre Dame up until like two weeks ago, and it was because I was listening. And the reason I wasn't watching Notre Dame is because I kind of was looking at it as a situation like it was a few years ago where they kind of started off hot, but it was like they were winning some games where it was like, yeah, you know, it was that contender pretender thing, you know. And but then they turned out to be pretenders, but. Uh, about two weeks ago, I was sitting there and I was watching some of the the pregame shows, and I'm listening to them talk about them. And I'm like, okay, well, let me go and look into some of these guys. And man, they've really been balling, <laughs> you know. And uh, then, of course, with um, um, the this past weekend, 
uh, excuse me, not this past weekend, but last weekend, I think it was where we were talking about uh, North Carolina State as well. So it's 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 a couple of teams where I wasn't really kind of on North Carolina State. You mentioned to me, you know, a few weeks ago, and you were like, they're they're legit, you know. Uh, but it's a couple of teams where after a couple of games into the season, I started getting onto it. As I started getting those teams, I started picking out players. Like, okay, I got my out. <laughs> You're somebody I need to start scouting. You know, like they're they're just kind of popping up everywhere, as you said. You know, just don't really know who, but when they pop up, they really catch your eye. I'm I'm, I'm so I'm really looking forward to seeing how the rest of the season play out for certain teams. What's going to be interesting is obviously we're getting to the point where college football is going to get a ton more attention. Tuesday we get the first playoff rankings. Uh, comes after a weekend in which we had two top four teams that were undefeated yeah. lose. Number four, TCU, yeah. lost oh, to Iowa okay. State, 7-14. to 14. <laughs> And then, of course, the big game, had a phenomenal game. I watched almost the entire thing. Number two, Penn State ah. loses by a point. How the number six, Ohio State, Ohio State in Columbus. <laughs> it was a great game. I mean, how here's the, the answer. That off? <laughs> here's how they pulled it off. JT Barrett was, and I get it, JT Barrett has his detractors, but he was incredible. He completed the last 16 passes he threw. He managed yeah. drives. He almost had 100 yards rushing. He was, I mean, the, I get it. He's JT Barrett. He's not probably headed for a very successful NFL career. He's got you know, some severe skill limitations, but guess what? That's a hell of a game. Man. He did his thing. He did his thing. No question yeah. about it. It was, it was an impressive game. You know, I, I, I was watching it. I'm just like, when they, when they uh, scored the go ahead touchdown, I kind of reflected on the last five minutes quickly. I was just like, what the hell? Like how, how did this happen? <laughs> you know, but ultimately it was definitely a good game. I thought the game was over going into the uh, halfway through the third, really, but I was just sure. like, yeah, this game's over. But, they pulled it off, and you got to tip your hat to them. And that's an Urban Meyer team for you. You can never count them out by mistake. Ohio State outscored them nineteen to three in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, it was a uh, it was a game that came down to those last fifteen minutes, but they got it done. It'll be interesting to see if they sneak in to the playoffs uh, first rankings when they come out on Tuesday night. If it's Notre Dame, if it's Clemson, who just had a big win over Georgia Tech. They're number seven. They got their first win since the Syracuse loss. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, the other big game, obviously, this weekend was Oklahoma State, number 11, getting another 50-point win over West Virginia. Um, what else? Anything else from this last weekend? I did see USC. Yes. I got a, yes. a little bit of the USC-Arizona State game. That one was interesting. USC balled out finally. You know, it's probably too little too late, but they obviously look good. Any other thoughts on this last weekend? Yeah, one thing and one thing only. Uh, those Tigers. How about those Tigers, Mizzou? Yeah. <laughs> Incorrect, bro. How about they've North won, Texas? They've won two in a row. How about, how about that conference? Go ahead. Go ahead. Get your Missouri level out. You get to go first. Look, they, they've won two in a row, okay? Uh, they are going to win their last four, okay? They're going to win their last four games, and they're going to finish the season you know, not, not maybe a respectable. Let's put it that way. They're going to finish the season with a respectable record as opposed to what they were headed towards when they were 1-5 or whatever. So they're going to finish 7-5. and five. You heard it here first, folks. Um, you're full of shit and you're a horrible poker player. More interestingly, <laughs> North Texas. North Texas, my dog. Oh, by the way, y'all played Connecticut. I'm just throwing that out there. North Texas, yeah. don't look out now. <laughs> Leading the division, heading toward the conference championship. 
holla at your boys in the main grade. <laughs> it's going down. That's about as much time as we need to spend speaking about North Texas football. Looking ahead to the next week, dude. Uh, what do we got? Nothing much in the middle of the week. Oh, we are in the middle of twenty the 27 days. We need a name for this. I saw it started on, um, I think it was last Thursday, was the first of 27 straight days of football. So we need we need some kind of a it, – it's like a football Hanukkah where it's just like the, the, the festival of football, the festival of football lights. Somebody smart, get at us. Hit us up with your name for what we need to call this holiday. Uh, but it starts tomorrow. We got Monday night football in the NFL tonight. Starting tomorrow, we have college football on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Uh, these first couple of days, not a lot to look at. Uh, but you get into Saturday. The matchups aren't all that sexy. If you look at top 25, you got number seven, Penn State, against number 24, Michigan State. But if you've seen Michigan State this year, they're not very watchable. I wouldn't recommend you show that uh, to any kids in the area. Certainly not advisable. <laughs> Clemson and NC State. That's still going to be fun because NC State's so ch- talented. Uh, Clemson's defense, absolutely loaded. Number 18, Stanford at number 25, Washington State. A lot of offense in this game. If you haven't seen Bryce Love, if you want another running back, uh, he's going to be there. Probably the big game of the day is going to be Bedlam, number eight Oklahoma at number 11 Oklahoma State. That fact is in big time. If Oklahoma wants to get into the playoff race, they got to get through this one, and this one's in Stillwater. Really interesting game. Uh, big night game for the SEC, LSU, number 19 at number one Alabama. If there's a trip up on Alabama's schedule, I don't know if this is probably it, but maybe this might be it. Obviously, they got the Iron Bowl coming up to finish out the season, uh, but that one's going to be a big one. And then, obviously, late, you got another ACC matchup, Virginia Tech, number 13, at number 9, Miami. Oh, number 23, Arizona, at number 17, USC. Great late game for the Pack. This is one of those days that's going to stretch, man. At first, I was like, I, I didn't remember too much going on uh, this Saturday. But uh, clearly, we're going to have to get into this. This is going to be another long day for me. Anything you're looking out for next weekend? <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking for my Tigers to beat Florida. Man, you and the Tigers, come on. Come on. <laughs> they're going to beat Florida. They're going to go against that really good defense, and they're going to put up 40. Uh, did you Did you watch Georgia-Florida? Did you watch that game? I did. <laughs> did you, here's, here's the thing that I don't – That I mean, I, I appreciate it, but it's also just rude when you get games like this. Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm threw the ball seven times. Now, here's the deal. When you throw the ball seven times, it's because you don't have to throw the ball. But when you throw the ball seven times, what that means in the third and fourth quarter is that you're just hurting guys' souls. You're just embarrassed. They have family members there. (laughs) They have girlfriends. There are kids who look up to them. And you just running the ball over and over and over. And don't think this was like Sony Michelle just because, oh, well, they had Sony Michelle. He must have ran all over him. Nah, dude, he had six carries. This wasn't even their time. This is is the Rams taking Todd Gurley out of the game and Jared Goff throwing it seven times and beating the Giants 42-7 to because Malcolm Brown goes off. It's just not right. There are families. (laughs) See, that's the thing. I'm a dad. I'm more sensitive now. You know what I'm saying? I'm more sensitive to these things. uh, Even Evander Holyfield's son. Like, they just just so deep. (laughs) They have so many running backs. They are, they are, you know, the new school RBU. You know, Miami had their very long run with a lot of good backs. <laughs> but it is, it's been Georgia for the last 10 or 12 years. They've just pr- been producing running back after running back after running back. It's, uh, it's highly impressive. Let's just put it that way. 
and you got two coming to the league in Sonny Michelle and obviously Nick Chubb. We'll have to see if Elijah Holyfield. I think he's a sophomore. Uh, he's got time. Yeah, he's a sophomore. That was just a rude, rude. That was a rude game. Just rude all around. Just absolutely rude. inappropriate. But the good thing is Georgia is going to have to get back to some regular football as the league normalizes, and we're going to get some good college football coming this weekend. What else you got, Doug? That's yeah, that's uh, you covered it all. That's all we got for this upcoming week. Um, again, make sure that we are tuning in. Remember, it's an early game. Twelve, uh, let's see, one o'clock Eastern time and ten o'clock Pacific time. Yeah, so it's going to be an early game. It's not going to be your, our, you know, our usual three fifteen game or um, one fifteen game, depending on where you're at. Definitely make sure that you're up, ready for this game, because it, as we said, it will be a trap game. But I think it's going to be good. I think I think it's going to be a good day for Jared Goff, but I'm questioning how good for time early. So let's make sure we're tuned in for that. But, again, make sure – what's up? What you got? No, I was just saying that the thing that's going to be interesting is we talk about so many of these other games about set and tone. I don't know that this is a game where the tone really matters early on. I think that this could be this could be one of those games where the Rams have a lot to yeah, figure this, out. Uh, this could be the that, that, that they can get done in the second half. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, this could definitely be a Dallas game all over again. But make sure y'all tune in again. Make a uh, shout out to Jim Everett. Make sure you're following him. Uh, Jim also, Jim Everett. Make sure uh, also make sure you're following the site Turf Show Times uh, at Turf Show Times. Make sure you're following myself, Mighty or Myson, and Joe at Three K underscore. That's all we got for this week. We got actually we're gonna catch try to catch you a little later this week, but for sure next week. And we out.
make a run. With shades on, I can catch a BB in the dark. So now you're ready, and I'm sure you'll agree. The ramming is fun when you're ramming with me. Garoppolo, 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 Garoppolo. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. 
why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.